Good morning, friends. Today we're going to launch a new series of messages from the book of Proverbs. And today it's Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7, specifically verses 20 to 21. Uh, Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the end of the noisy streets, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. You know, it was back in 1985, I was doing a radio show called More Power while on Vicarage in the state of Washington. Amy Grant just released her third single from the Unguarded album. It was a song uh, that was called Wise Up. Yeah, better wise up. Uh, Better wise up, better think twice, never leave room for compromise. You better wise up, better get smart, and use your head to guard your heart. It's going to get rough, so you better wise up. And so that's the theme for today, wise up. Uh, And what we want to do is uh, hopefully get street smart. Now, I'm not talking about street smart so we get away with things, but this is really kind of, you know, there's church smart, book smart, school smart, and then there's street smart. And that we just understand how to live correctly. As I begin, I want to to suggest that you have your Bible open every time you're hearing one of these messages. And I want you to follow along with me in your Bible because most of the sermons will not be like this one. This one will be just in this one passage. But most messages will take you all over the book of Proverbs, uh, putting uh, verses together. And I would say that you might get lost without your Bible in front of you. Now, what I want to do in this series is really simple. I want to address the inculcation of character and virtue. That's street smart, learning what God has to say about what's right and wrong. Practical, down-to-earth teaching about what is right, what is wrong, how you ought to treat people, how you ought to live, how your behavior ought to be different if you call yourself a Christ follower. See, for a world that has lost its way, God has uh, written a book uh, to bring us back. And that book is called Proverbs. Now, we don't often preach on it because it's kind of an unusual book. But we're going to be in Proverbs for several weeks. We're going to study what it has to say, learning its principles, trying to become different people so that we can make a difference when we go out into the world. So we're going to begin in Proverbs chapter 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. If I could say anything about Proverbs by the way of introduction, I would would be this. I would give you these three words about this book. First, Proverbs is an amazingly practical and down-to-earth book. Second, Proverbs is amazingly timeless. Even though it's written 3,000 plus years ago, it speaks to us today. 
And third, Proverbs is amazingly relevant. And by the way, the word Proverbs itself in the Latin comes from proverb, and it means in place of words or in place of speaking. But perhaps we should start out by asking, what is a proverb? Well, a proverb is a short statement that encapsulates wisdom. And in a few short words, it says something that would otherwise take a long sermon. You know, for example, a stitch in time saves nine. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Early to bread, early to rise, uh, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Or, you know, right from Proverbs itself, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Or train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, all of those are Proverbs. They are short sayings that take the place of a long explanation. They're practical, timeless, and relevant. They'll teach you street smart living. But remember, Proverbs are principles and not promises. They tell you how life is supposed to work. Proverbs are just short sayings that teach us how to live life skillfully from God's point of view. Now, having said that, let's jump in and look at four benefits that God promises to you and me from studying this book. And here's benefit number one. You're going to learn the art of skillful living. It says to know wisdom and instruction. The word for wisdom is chokmah in the Hebrew. It refers not just to head knowledge or even just heart knowledge. Actually, chokmah in the Old Testament was used for anybody who had an unusual skill in any area. For instance, if an artisan was excellent at making something, he was said to have chokmah. A composer who could take notes and put them together and make beautiful music was said to have chokmah. A person who was a great speaker and who could make his ideas clear was said to have chokmah. If he was a good counselor, if he could solve people's problems, he was said to have chokmah. Simply put, it means to be skilled in some area of life. When you take that definition and apply it to Proverbs 1, wisdom is the ability to live life skillfully from God's point of view. That is, you'll be good at living your life, at facing the problems of life, and handling whatever comes your way. Now, here's benefit number two. You gain mental alertness. This is something some of us need. Verse two says, to discern the sayings of understanding. The word understanding means the ability to discriminate between two different things. Now, if you look down at verse 6 of chapter 1, it says, To understand a proverb and a figure, or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddle. You see, by reading this book, you'll be sharper mentally than you are right now. And benefit 3, you'll develop moral insight. Look at verse 3. To receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. Now, in in the King James Version, you might see the word prudent, which means shrewd and clever. But those words kind of shade over into the negative area. But in the Hebrew, they have a positive sense in this verse. It means street smart. It means that when you're out on the streets, you'll know how to handle yourself. If you have a problem, you know how to get out of it. A person who has prudence is clever and shrewd in the ways of the world. He knows how to do things that need to be done. And he defines it here. He says, wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. So it's not just how to do things, but how to do things that are right and just and fair. Now, here's benefit four. You begin to grow up. Uh, It goes on and says to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. 
A wise man will hear an increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. I hope you notice the two groups there in verse 4. There are the naive and there are the young. Now, who are the naive or the simple? Well, it does not refer to IQ. It doesn't refer to mental ability in any way at all. In the Bible, the word simple refers to people who are you know, gullible. I mean, what are the signs of a person who's naive or gullible? Well, they're easily tricked. They're a sucker for a sob story. They're easily conned or scammed. They have, you know, a sucker written all over their face. And they make the same dumb mistakes over and over again. I mean, sometimes you talk to people and they ask for help and you tell them what went wrong and what they need to do, and they agree to do it, but they go out and they make the same mistake, and they come back and ask what they did wrong, and you tell them what they did wrong, and tell them what they need to do, and they go out and make the same dumb mistake again, and you go through the process again. They get into the same bad relationships over and over. They make the same bad investments. They they say the same foolish things. They hurt their friends the same way. They make promises. They break. They start out trying to do something, but they bite off more than they can chew, and they have to back off over and over and over and over and over. You got the idea. Well, maybe you know somebody like that, or well, maybe you are like that. Well, this book will teach you how to break the cycle of making the same mistakes over and over again and how to get on the right path. Now, who are the young? Well, in the biblical sense, the young people are people who, they're not old. So, who is old? Well, the Bible talks a lot about old people, the wisdom of the aged and the crown of gray hair being the crown of the godly. Uh, That means this, if you follow the Lord from the time you're young, by the time you're old, you'll be wise. You may start off foolish, simple, and gullible, but by the end you'll be prudent and disciplined and wise. Now, understand something, it's not chronological. But by the time you're 40 or 50, you ought to have some street smarts. There's no excuse for being gullible when you're 45. I mean, there are gullible 45-year-olds all over the place, people in midlife crisis. And there's no excuse for it. You ought to wise up and start living the way God says you ought to live. So it's not a matter of age because I've known some 75-year-olds who are quite gullible. They still make the same dumb mistakes they made when they were 25. Now, understand this, friends. It's not strictly chronological, but the older you get, the wiser you ought to become. When you're young, you just don't know enough yet. You haven't lived enough yet. You haven't seen enough of life yet to really be experienced in street smarts. So how young is young? Well, let's say 30 years. You're young if you're under 30 because in the Old Testament, you had to be 30 to become a priest. And if you're under 20, you're a child. And see, there's no such category as teenager in the Old Testament. You're a child, then you're a young adult, then you're an adult. If you're young, well, you really need this book. And the younger you are, the more you need the book, not because of any reason other than than when you're young, you haven't had enough experience to know what life is really all about. That's why this book is here, to help the young know how to grow up morally, ethically, and spiritually. And now we come to uh, verse 7, which is really the climax of this whole first passage. Verse 7 is the theme of the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Well, let's take the last part of that verse first. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, there are five different words in the book of Proverbs that are translated fool. So when you see the word fool, you must find out what the Hebrew word is because they all have different meanings. 
There is a young fool, the naive fool, the gullible fool, the angry fool, and there is also the arrogant, stubborn, hard-headed fool who will not listen to anybody's advice. And that's the word used here. It's the most extreme form of the word. Now, here's a two-way test to spot a fool. A fool doesn't know what he's doing, and a fool doesn't care. He doesn't know what is going on around him. He doesn't even care enough to wise up and figure it out. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. I mean, the wise man has to say that all the time. I, you know, I don't know. Would you teach me? Or I don't know. I'd like to learn. Or I don't know. I Can you help me? But the fool says, I don't know. I don't care. I don't want to learn anything. And you can't teach me anything. Now, let's look at the beginning of the verse. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The most important word here is beginning, and it has three meanings. It means that which is first in order of priorities, that which is basic or foundational. It means the essence of cent or, or central truth of something, and it means the capstone or the ultimate goal of something. So what is the fear of the Lord? Well, it's not cringing terror. It's respecting God for who he is. It is understanding that God is God and you're not. The fear of the Lord is to bow the knee before Almighty God and acknowledge that he made the world and that he runs, that it runs according to his plan. Respect for God is where knowledge begins, continues, and where all knowledge ends up. Well, let me give you my three conclusions to this first message. Here's conclusion number one. The road of wisdom leads to a temple, not to a palace. In other words, it leads back to God. If your learning leads you away from God, you're learning the wrong things. If your learning leads you toward greater independence from God and his word, you've been studying at the feet of the wrong teachers because all true learning point begins with the understanding that there is a God to whom all of us must one day give an account. In conclusion number two, all education that leaves God out omits the central principle of the universe. I don't know if you knew that our public school system was founded years ago by people who, if they were not practicing Christians, at least believed in Judeo-Christian principles and the truth of the Bible as the foundation of all learning. Go and look it up. The public school system of America was founded on those biblical principles. That's why if you go back to the 19th century and read the McGuffey readers, when they wanted to teach the ABCs, it was A, all have sinned, B, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, C, confess your sins and you will be forgiven. See, all education was based on basically biblical foundations. It occurred to me what would happen today if a teacher stood up on the first day of the class and said, because I'm a Christian, I'm going to teach you from the standpoint of the Christian faith. I'm going to let my Christian faith influence all of my instruction. I'm going to be up front with you. You don't have to believe what I believe, but I'm not going to hide my Christian faith any longer. I'm going to teach you everything everything I teach you, whether it's math or geography or algebra or English or world history or cultural diversity, but I'm going to teach it to you from the standpoint of the Christian faith because I believe that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. Now, how long would that teacher last? Is it any wonder that many young people today have no conscience? When you take God out of the equation, there's no basis for a moral conscience. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When you take God out of the process, you're teaching them numbers, reading, writing, and arithmetic, but you're not teaching them the most important thing in the whole universe, that there is a God and that he's spoken and that his words are true. 
Now, I thank God for every Christian teacher. I spent my first 18 years of my professional life as a teacher in Christian schools. You know, those people in public schools have my 100% undivided support. Some of my best friends are public school teachers. I support every coach and every teacher, every faculty, every staff member, every administration official, and I say God bless you because you are missionaries. I am totally behind Christian schools, but I'm totally behind the teachers and workers and students who are also in the public schools. You know, Chuck Colson was right. When you take God out of the society, away from the educational system, what you get is chaos. And that, my friends, is what we have in America today. I mean, no crime bill, no educational bill, no bureaucratic solution can solve that problem until we come back to what God was saying 3,000 years ago. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, I believe in education. I attended college and several graduate schools of theology. I have a bachelor's degree, three master's degrees, and an earned doctor's degree. There's nobody who believes in the value of education more than I do. But, and there's the but here, but if you have a Ph.D. but you don't have the fear of the Lord, you're an intellectual genius and a spiritual moron. If you have all the book learning and all the degrees but don't have the fear of the Lord, you would be better to be an illiterate reader of the Bible who at least believes in God. Without the fear of the Lord, you may be an intellectual giant, but you are a moral and spiritual pygmy. In conclusion, number three, God honors those who build their lives on the unshakable foundation of his unchanging truth. I believe that, and I encourage you to do it. Now, with that being said, let me close with a challenge. Here's my first challenge. It is to the young, if you're listening. If you're under 30, you're, you're young. And I want you to, to come and to learn and to listen. <clears throat> and I'm teaching these lessons to you first for the young generation. My challenge is also to the parents or grandparents. Listen and then pass on what you have learned. And third, my challenge is to the men You know, in Newsweek some years back, written from a non-Christian perspective, the article said that one of the problems about teaching virtue is that we've left it to the women. We have women in Sunday school, women in the church, women doing all the teaching in public schools. And Newsweek said men must learn virtue and they must begin to teach it. I heard a pastor of a biker church in Las Vegas speaking about the importance of men in spiritual leadership. And he said, you know, my grandma was a praying woman. My granddaddy was a fishing man. It had been that way as long as I can remember. It's not going to change as long as the women do the praying and the men do the fishing. It's time for the men to do the praying and the teaching and for men to develop virtue and character and become spiritual leaders in their homes and in their churches and in their workplaces, in the schools and our society. It's not going to change until we men make it change. That's why I'm so proud of the Malachi Dads program that takes place down at Angola Prison, where I also teach. And I'll talk more about that some other time. But men, it starts with you and me. There's nothing wrong with the women. They've never been the problem. It's always been us. I mean, guys, when we change, our our families will change. Uh, When we change, our churches will change. When we change, the world around us will change. So, men, I'm just saying rise up and take seriously the call to be men of character. It, fourth, my challenge is to all of us. I mean, pay attention to what God is saying. Listen to his word. If you don't know where else to begin in applying this message, do what Billy Graham did. For over 50 years, uh, Billy Graham has had a, had a special practice in his devotional life. 
There are 31 days in this month, and there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. For 50-plus years, Billy has read read one chapter a day in the book of Proverbs. If you don't know where else to begin with this message, start right here. Go back to God's Word and get street smart. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.